Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> all right. Um, I love all you mothers out there. And uh, for those of you who aren't mothers, I love you too. Um, <laughs> why don't you uh, look to your neighbor and say, uh, it's so good to see your beautiful face. Hey, these, these guys are shy up here. They're not saying anything. Come on, look to your neighbor and say, ah, it's so good to see your beautiful face. <laughs> yes, there we go. There we go. You know, I said this last time I was up here. I said uh, it, it's, it's an honor to stand up here because I get to see uh, your beautiful smiles. And I, I mean it, man. You guys, you guys have such a beautiful smile. It puts a smile on my heart. So thank you. Thank you for being a part of this church where I get to preach and come up and preach to your beautiful faces. Um, with that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let me open us up with a word of prayer. God, uh, we thank you for this day that you have made. Lord, we will rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, we thank you for the rain that you give us. We thank you that you are the sustainer of life. We thank you, Lord, for our mother's Lord, we thank you that through our mothers we get a glimpse of your nurturing love for us. Holy Spirit, we invite you right now to fill us, to fill our hearts and to fill our minds, to fill our ears that as we hear your word, Lord, we may hear the word that you've prepared for us. Because, Lord, we believe that nothing here happens by mistake. Every person who sits in this room, Lord, you sovereignly ordained them to sit here this morning because you have a word for them. And so we just pray in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, come. Come and fill us. Fill our hearts. And help us to be transformed by your beautiful word that you've prepared for us. Lord, everything's for your glory. Everything's for your glory. So God, may there be less of us. May the distractions of this world, may it quiet down. May it be silenced in the name of Jesus. And may we hear the whispers of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, before we continue our series through the book of Acts, uh, let me take a, a brief moment uh, to summarize the first uh, chapter uh, from the past two weeks. Uh, in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, Jesus, he gathers his disciples, right, and he confirms the promise of the Father that soon they would be clothed, that soon they would be filled with the power from power of the Holy Spirit. Right? And Jesus, he goes on to say that they will become witnesses to the ends of the earth once they're empowered by this Holy Spirit. Then right in their presence, Jesus, he ascends into heaven, right? right before the eyes of his disciples. Then from verse 12 to the end of the chapter of where Pastor Corey preached from last week, we find the disciples in Jerusalem, they are in Jerusalem, right? 120 of them waiting in an upper room, 
devoting themselves to prayer, waiting for Jesus' prophecy of the Holy Spirit baptism to be fulfilled. The title of today's sermon is The Marks of the Christian Life. The Marks of the Christian Life. If you have your Bibles, open with me to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. If it's easier for you to see it from the screen behind me, it's going to be projected. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitudes came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the part of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty work of God. The first thing that I'd like to draw your attention to this morning is Pentecost. Could you say Pentecost? Oh yeah, there we go. Who is that right there? Yeah, Dawson. (laughs) One more time. Come on, with the passion Dawson just showed. Pentecost. There we go. Pentecost, it comes from the Greek word Pentecoste. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but I don't care. (laughs) Which means 50, as in the number 50, okay? It's a celebration that derives from the book of Exodus where the Israelites, they're commanded to appear before God with gifts and offerings in thanksgiving, thanksgiving for their harvest, for their harvest, right? It was a feast of harvest, Pentecost. So on Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, Jews, they typically from all over the world, they made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate this festival and to bring their first fruit offerings before God in the table, in in the temple as a thanksgiving to the Lord, as, as thanksgiving to the Lord. Pentecost, it was considered at one point the least significant of the three Jewish festivals. But it became more and more popular as rabbis began attributing Pentecost as the anniversary of the giving of the law at Mount Sinai 1,200 years ago. They based this on Exodus 19.1 in the Old Testament, which says, the Israelites arrived in Sinai on the third new moon after the people had gone out of the land of Egypt. So this calculation of this third new moon was approximately 50 days after Passover. 
Eventually, the rabbis, they determined that the festival of Pentecost, it occurred during the same time that God gave the law, the tablets of law, to Moses at Mount Sinai. So there was this gradual evolution. This gradual evolution of Pentecost throughout Israel's history that initially began as a harvest celebration, right? As a harvest celebration, and it morphed into the anniversary of God giving the law to his people. Here in Jerusalem, as we were reading from our text, with thousands of Jews from all over the world to celebrate Pentecost, were 120, were 120 men and women sitting in the upper room, praying, waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now with this context of Pentecost, right, it's easy to now picture what their prayers were probably about, isn't it? Prayers of celebration of God's provision as they remember the harvest festival. Prayers of thanksgiving as they remember the, the, the giving of the law from God to his people. Right? So you can just imagine, even before the descent and receiving and the filling of the Holy Spirit, these men and women, 120 of them, crying out to God, praising his name, giving thanks with shouts of joy, fully hopeful and anticipating the promise of the Holy Spirit that was soon to come. Right, that's the scene and context from which the baptism of the Holy Spirit took place. And for us, the readers today, it's important for us to understand this historical prog progression of Pentecost because it demonstrates how God, how God took Israel's history, how he took part of their religious tradition, part of their law, the foundation of their faith, Right, And he provided a new model of redemption that was now personal and intimate by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? amen. Look at verses 1 to 3 with me. Again, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them, and it rested on each one of them. You see, God, he took the law that was originally etched onto tablets of stone, and now by the Holy Spirit, he etched the law onto their hearts. God, he took their harvest celebration by which all people gathered at the temple to worship God, this one central place to worship God, and now by the power of the Holy Spirit, established the temple within them, within them, so they may now declare the mighty works of God no matter where they go. God took their harvest festival of giving their first fruits unto God, and now by the power of the Holy Spirit, declared these 120 men and women as the first fruit harvest of his new church. So in essence, what God did, God is so creative. He lays nothing to waste. 
right? What he did was he took what he had already established and filled it with the Holy Spirit, right? He took their religious rituals and gave it new meaning by the filling of the Holy Spirit. He took their law and bound it to their hearts by the filling of the Holy Spirit. He took the 120 followers of Jesus and gave them power by the filling of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? Right? You see the baptism, the Holy Spirit baptism on Pentecost, it's given us access to an intimate and personal relationship with the living God of this world. God took what was stale and he gave it flavor. Right? God took what was dead and he gave it power. God took what was ritualistic and tradition and he gave it divine purpose. That is what the Holy Spirit baptism did. So let me ask us to ponder this question for a moment. What is the mark of a Christian life for you? What is the mark of a Christian life for you? You see, perhaps there are some of you who have been going to church for 10 plus years, and it seems that church is now just part of your weekly routine because you feel guilty if you don't go. Right? Or perhaps there are some of you who at one point experienced a spiritual awakening, a spiritual high, but you find yourself nowadays wandering aimlessly in this spiritual journey called Christianity. Perhaps there are some of you who have been serving in a ministry for a number of years and you wonder why you still serve when it's hard for you to believe half of the stuff you teach. Right? Perhaps there are some of you who grew up in a Christian home and so everything, you, everything about church is just part of your cultural norm. Perhaps there are some of you who go to church because you feel pressured by your family by your parents, by your spouse. And yet after all these years of attending church and calling yourself a Christian, everything seems ritualistic and stale. Does that resonate with any of you? If according to Acts chapter 2, the Christian life is marked as one who is filled and overflowing with the Holy Spirit, I wonder how this speaks to us today. I wonder how this speaks to American evangelicalism. I wonder how this speaks to westernized Christianity. You see, there are some of us who might read the book of Acts and we might say, that was biblical times. Right? That, that was biblical times. That doesn't happen anymore. The Holy Spirit can't fill me like that and it can't revive my spiritual life. That isn't for me, right? That was for the apostles. Christianity today is different than the way it was back then, right? But I think, I think the reason some of us have this mindset is because we fought into this watered-down, two-step Christianity of accepting Jesus Christ into your heart and following biblical principles, Right? But nowhere in the Bible, where in the Bible does Jesus say you must accept me into your heart to be saved? 
Where does he say that in the Bible? Right? Nowhere in Acts do the apostles teach that Christianity is a religion of saying the sinner's prayer and doing the best you can to go to church, following set rituals, and laboring to live according to the Bible. Right? Jesus says, you must be born again. He says you must be born again, doesn't he? The Christian life, according to Jesus, is one who is born again. Right? Born again in its original language is a verb that repeats over and over and over again. And born again, according to Jesus, is a Holy Spirit experience that happens over and over and over and over again. It is not just a sinner's prayer and thinking, okay, I'm now a Christian for the rest of my life. According to Jesus, being born again is a Holy Holy Spirit experience of being filled by the Holy Spirit and experiencing the resurrection power on a daily basis. Remember the apostles, right? They were already Christians when they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, weren't they? Yeah, they were. According to John chapter 20, right, Jesus, he breathed the Holy Spirit upon them, right, at their conversion. Yet in the upper room, the 120, they waited for the Holy Spirit. And God, by his grace on Pentecost, poured the Holy Spirit filled them with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit took their ritualistic religion and pumped it with new life. Took what was dead in their hearts and gave them power. God took their wandering spiritual journey and gave them a new purpose. Right? The Holy Spirit took what was dead and gave them the power to be witnesses for Him. And that is what the Holy Spirit offers us today for each one of us who are here today. But perhaps, perhaps we don't experience it. We don't experience it because we don't pray for it, right? Nor do we wait for it because we've watered down our assumptions of the Christian life based on this two-step process of Christianity, Accept Jesus into your life. Follow biblical principles. Of of course, these two are important, but it's a small component of the Christian journey, of our spiritual journey. Right? Imagine, Imagine with me if the disciples, if the disciples never went up to the room and they waited. Imagine if they never went there and waited, just as God or Jesus commanded them to. Imagine if they thought that this Holy Spirit experience was out of their reach. Imagine if they thought, oh, Jesus, he already breathed the Holy Spirit upon me. I don't need to ask for it anymore. Right? I'm already saved. Imagine if they said, oh, it can never happen to us. It can only happen to people like Jesus. Jesus was holy. Right? He had an important mission. What would have happened? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing would have happened. The Holy Spirit would have moved on in search of those who would ask for it, who would have prayed for it. The Holy Spirit 
wants to clothe you, his children, with power from on high. He wants to bring life to what is dead in you. He wants to break off the shackles of Christian rituals and traditions and fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit. In our passage, Luke says when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, two things happened. In verse 4 it says they began speaking speaking in other tongues. And in verse 7 it says they began declaring the mighty works of God. Speaking in other tongues and declaring the mighty works of God. Pastor Eugene from New York's Riverside Church, he once told a story about his friend who visited her grandmother in the south. She stayed with her grandmother for a couple days and while she was with her, she had the opportunity to attend her uh, grandmother's church. And she described the church to be energetic. There were people shouting and dancing, waving flags, going crazy, right, at this worship service. The music was loud, people were praising, and the worship team was energetic. It was a worship service like none she had ever experienced before. And so after service, this lady, she asks her grandma, were these people simply having an emotional release because of the music, or were they actually touched by the Holy Spirit and influenced and moved by the Holy Spirit. And her grandmother responded to her saying, Honey, it doesn't matter how high they jump up. It's what they do when they come down that will tell you if it's the real thing. In other words, the manner and form in which they worship is not the point. Right? It's the substance and what they do with it that will determine if it's the real thing. The 120 who waited and prayed in the upper room, anticipating the baptism of the Holy Spirit, encountered God in a way that no one had ever experienced in the history of the faith. Right? There were tongues of fire descending from heaven. Could you imagine that? Tongues of fire coming upon you, resting on you. There was a sound of a mighty rushing wind that filled the entire house where they were sitting. And as they were filled with the Holy Spirit, each one began speaking in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This was no doubt a spiritual high jump that was way, way, way high. Right? Was it not? But the evidence that this was truly the baptism of the Holy Spirit was not so much in the manner of how it happened. Right? But the matter of what the disciples did from that point on. Right? What was important was the matter of what the disciples did from that point on. Notice that in verse 2 and 3, the Holy Spirit made His presence known with wind and fire. Okay, wind and fire. God, He could have revealed His Spirit in any way that he wanted to, right? He could have done it like the sound of crashing waves or the sound of thunder, but he reveals himself like a mighty rushing wind, right? God could have revealed his spirit as a dove or two stone tablets or as a burning bush, but he reveals his spirit as tongues of fire. You see, in Hebrew, spirit is translated wind and breath. Wind and breath. And if we recall Ezekiel 37, 
God appears to Ezekiel, right, and he leads him out into the middle of a barren valley. And there in the valley is ridden with dead bones, these dry bones. There's nothing but death all around Ezekiel. And God, he speaks to Ezekiel and he asks him, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel, he responds to God saying, God, only you know. Right? And God, he commands him. He says, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. In the barren valley, wind and breath come upon these dead and dry bones and they're given you life. You see, the Holy Spirit baptism on Pentecost was the fulfillment of this prophecy. The Spirit descends like that of a mighty rushing wind, giving new life to the 120 men and women who sat there in prayer. And what these men and women do afterwards is what's key here. They, be, they began declaring the mighty works of God as stated in verse 11. They themselves began to speak life to dead bones. They themselves began to speak salvation to a dry and barren and ritualistic and traditional religion. You see, before Jesus' departure and ascension, Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Right? Go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. And that's exactly what we see happening here with the 120. God pours out His Spirit. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately they began declaring the mighty works of God, breathing new life. Breathing new life to these dead people by preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Immediately they began making disciples, declaring the promise of redemption through Jesus Christ. Right? And after they came down from their spiritual jump that was way high, what mattered was what they did after. They did exactly as Jesus commanded them to do before his ascension, to go and make disciples. And that's what we see them doing. You see, the Holy Spirit fills us not just for our own well-being, not just for our own well-being. Yes, God loves us. There's no doubt about that. Yes, God wants what's good for us. But the Holy Spirit fills us not for our end, but for God's end. Not for our good, but for God's good. Not for our religion, but for His glory. To make disciples of all nations. So borrowing the words from this wise grandma, it doesn't matter how high you jump. It's what you do when you come down that will tell you if it's the real thing. So let me ask you, are you making disciples? Are you a disciple maker? 
that is the metric of whether your Christian life is, re- is reflective of the Christian life from the book of Acts. Are you a disciple maker? Because if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, our spirit that's united with Christ, it won't be able to contain the mighty works of God. If you're constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit, you're being attached to the heart of Jesus Christ. And there will be nothing that can contain you from declaring the mighty works of God. David Platt, he once said, perhaps you're not making disciples because you're not a disciple. Let's let that sink in for a moment. Perhaps you're not making disciples because you're not a disciple. If the 120 men and women, after being filled with the Holy Spirit, stayed in the upper room, started a Bible study for those who were there, began mentoring just each other, having prayer meetings for themselves, having Sunday worship service that catered to the 120, performing praise nights for their own spiritual nurturing, what would have happened? We could testify that what they experienced was not the real thing. Right? Because that isn't what Jesus commanded. Jesus commanded, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. That is what the Holy Spirit empowers us to do, to become witnesses for Jesus Christ. We know it was the real thing for the 120 because they did just that. They did just that immediately, right after. So now we know God fills us with the Holy Spirit when we seek it and ask for it, not for our end, but for God's end, for His end, for His glory, for His name. About five years ago, my friend Gio, he's with the Lord now, but he called me one day and he asked me to pick him up from his work in South L.A. And I didn't know what to expect, but it sounded urgent, so I went. And on the ride home, he completely caught me off surprised by what he said. He said, Pastor Steve, I want to tell you how I know that God exists. I looked at him and I asked, what do you mean? Because <laughs> I was somewhat surprised because I, I, I was expecting a conversation about his girlfriend uh, and him wanting some advice about his girlfriend. But then he told me that he wants to tell me about how he knows that God truly deeply, how he, how he knows that God truly exists deep in his heart. So then he goes on to tell me about his weekend. He told me his, this past, the past weekend, his aunt nagged him for hours to go to a Christian conference with her. But he said no. He said no, but she kept insisting for hours, you got to go to this conference with me. Trust me, this is something you have to do. And he didn't want to go because he had plans that evening to go to a party with his friends, and he didn't want to miss it. 
But as she kept nagging him, he suddenly felt this tug in his heart telling him that this was something that he had to do. So he agreed and he went. And it was a Benny Hinn conference. And no one thinks that's funny. <laughs> it was a Benny Hinn conference. Right? And he said while he was at the conference, he went to the bathroom. He went to the bathroom, and while he was there, he sat in the stall. He sat in the stall and he pulled out a bag of crystal meth. And he sat there contemplating whether he should take it. Right? And as he wrestled with it, he suddenly felt a tug to get rid of it. And so he dumped it out, flushed it, flushed it down the toilet, and as soon as he did, he said he was shocked by even his own actions of doing that. Gio, he told me he went back to his seat, sat down, and as soon as he did, Gio, he said he felt an overwhelming sense of God's presence in front of him. He began crying uncontrollably, not knowing exactly what was happening to him. At first he thought it might be withdrawals. Right, but the longer he sat there, the more he knew within the depth of his heart how much God loved him. And he began repenting and crying out to God in all earnestness during that hour. He said he knew he was being filled with the Holy Spirit at that moment. And soon after, Gio continued explaining to me that a random woman came up behind him laid her hands on him, and started praying for him. And Gio said her prayers went something like this. God is going to protect you and your family. He is for you and he loves you. After the conference, Gio, he, him and his family stopped by in and out and he took it home to eat. And as they were sitting out in front of their house, eating their burgers out on their patio, a car slowly crept up and began shooting at them. Everyone dropped to the floor, windows cracking, bullets whizzing by, but no one got shot. Amazingly, no one got shot. And at that moment, Gio told me that he remembered the random lady's prayer, and how he knew in his heart at that moment that God not only exists, but that God is for him. And with him. Gio then went on to tell me the reason he wanted me to pick him up from work. He said he wants to start a Bible study in the neighborhood. And that was the start of what would be called Monday night Bible study. Gio brought a bunch of the youth from Lincoln Heights to come out, and we led the Bible study together. You know, and Gio, he he continued, to, he, he continued to passionately pursue God's heart. And although at times he struggled, he always came back to the truth of God's love for him. And what I saw that marked Gio as a true disciple of Jesus Christ was, was that especially in his times of struggle, in his times of setbacks, in his times of doubts, in times when Christianity seemed mundane, when coming to church felt like a ritual, he desperately cried out to the Holy Spirit to touch him again and to revive his spirit. And I kid you not, every single time he did that, the Holy Spirit would come and fill his heart. And through that posture of desperation, what I saw was 
God enabling Gio to declare the mighty works of God to the youth in Lincoln Heights. You see, Gio was committed not to a cause. He wasn't committed to Benny Hinn. He wasn't committed to the random lady who prayed for him. He wasn't committed to the drive-by experience. He wasn't committed to Monday night Bible study. Gio was committed to the Holy Spirit to which he desperately sought after each day. And that is what distinguished him as a disciple and propelled him to become a disciple maker. See, Acts is a beautiful passage that not only describes the inauguration of the church, but also prescribes the model of the Christian life for us. And we should not water it down. We should not water it down. We are doing a disservice to our own spiritual journey, but especially to the kingdom of God upon this earth. Because we will then, will, how will we be able to offer people out there the real thing? From our passage today, we see that the Christian life is marked with waiting for the Holy Spirit. It's marked by praying for the Holy Spirit. It's marked by being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's marked by knowing Jesus intimately and personally through the Holy Spirit. And out of that commitment to the Holy Spirit, we become disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. Holy Spirit, witness, discipleship. Are those the marks of your Christian journey? Are those the marks of your Christian life? I'll close this morning with a quote from Oswald Chambers, which I think ties everything up pretty well, really well. Discipleship means personal passionate devotion to a person, our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a difference between devotion to a person and devotion to principles or to a cause. Our Lord never proclaimed a cause. He proclaimed personal devotion to Himself. To be a disciple is to be a devoted, long, love slave of the Lord Jesus Many of us who call ourselves Christians are not devoted to Jesus Christ. No man on earth has this passionate love to the Lord Jesus unless the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, has imparted it to him. We may admire him, we may respect him and reverence him, but we, can't, we, but we cannot love him. The only lover of the Lord Jesus is the Holy Ghost and he sheds abroad the very love of God in our hearts. Whenever the Holy Ghost sees a chance of glorifying Jesus, he will take your heart, your nerves, your whole personality and simply make you blaze and glow with devotion to Jesus Christ. So are the words of Oswald Chambers. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.
God, we thank you for waking us up and helping us to recognize, Lord, that you want us to experience the fullness of the Christian life. Lord, that you want us to walk according to the power of the Holy Spirit. That you want us to wait and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not for our end, but for your end. To glorify your beautiful name and to declare, to declare the mighty works of your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that you would massage our souls and our spirit. That you would nurture what we heard deep within our souls, Lord. And teach us by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, how to walk towards being a Christian that is marked by Holy Spirit, witness, and discipleship. Lord, we love you. All this is for you, not for our end, not for West Covina Christian Church, but for your beautiful name and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you.